morning, everyone. You probably noticed if you were here the first two weeks that this third week I got my old man glasses on today. Make sure that um, I don't miss any words. So um, bear with me as um, I'm prayer, prayerful rather that the Lord would be merciful with my eyesight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for another opportunity to look at your word together. It's such a blessing, Lord, the encouragement that we get from learning about the Corinthian church, that they had problems just like us, that they struggled to grow in their relationship with you to represent you just like we often do. And yet, Lord, you have revealed through your word, through the experience of the church in Corinth, that you know us. And despite knowing us and knowing our challenges and the struggles that we would have, Lord, you love us and you call us. And that because of your son, Jesus Christ, you are going to see us as guiltless and justified before you which is so amazing. And so, Lord, thank you for your love and your grace and continue, Lord, to encourage us as we seek to live our lives for you in this crazy world. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our third and final week of the introduction to the book of Corinthian, we will highlight and focus on the hope of our future. In this existence that we live in, in the pain and suffering and difficulties that we all experience, the Bible time and time again reminds us that one day we will live in a world, a new world, where there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, and we will be in relationship with one another in our God without hurting one another. Anybody ready for that? Is anybody tired of this world? If you're tired of this world, you just might be a Christian. Because our own sin and sickness, the world, as the Bible reminds us, the fallen angels, they all remind us daily that something just ain't right. And no matter what we do or what the world does to try to bring us peace and happiness, there just doesn't seem to be any peace and any happiness in times in our lives in this broken world. We've already highlighted the first nine verses of Corinthians in the introduction, and we've looked at those verses. And so today, as I just said, we're going to 
highlight some of the highlights, but emphasize and focus on our future hope. The Bible makes it clear, and Paul makes it clear, that God knows you. But not only does God know you, but the Bible actually says God foreknew you. The Bible uses an insightful word to describe God's relationship with you and your identity with him. In Jeremiah verse, or chapter 1, verse 5, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you or set you apart. That word we learned last time, sanctified you, made you a saint. I separated you for myself, and he told Jeremiah, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. See, if you know Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah, his ministry would not be considered a successful ministry by many standards. He didn't have many converts, if not any. He was often called the weeping prophet. If he were just to look at his circumstances, he could question or would question often. If his purpose in life or God's calling for him really had the meaning that he had hoped. But God reminded him, not only do I know you or did I call you, but I knew you before you were even born. You were predestined to suffer. Your suffering does not mean that your identity with me is not a reality. Paul articulates it beautifully in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. Many of you know this popular and beautiful, insightful verses. He says, we know that all things work together for the good, verse 28, Romans 8 of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Paul opens up with this beautiful statement by saying, it's going to be all right. I know Kendrick Lamar said that, but God, he actually knows it's going to be all right. He says, if you know God, if I know you, all things, somebody say all things, and he said all things because Paul knew that Christians suffered in this world. He knew that they struggled. And he says that all things work together for the good, that it's going to be all right, that it's all good when you are called by God according to his purpose. Back in the day when my mother, who's a great cook, Great, great cook. I mean, I don't know if they make them like that no more, of course, besides my wife. But my mother put the soul in soul food. But when I used to watch her cook, she would put in some ingredients from time to time that just didn't look good. I mean, alone by themselves, some of the ingredients she would put in the food, I would not eat. 
I mean, I just wouldn't eat a stick of butter. But the ingredients that she would put in the meals when she would put them all together and she would mix it up and she would stir it up and shake it up. Some of the ingredients that I didn't like, when she put them with the ingredients that I did like and she put it in the oven and it was a finished product, it was mm -mm, good. Good, good. See, all things that she was putting together to make that dish was not things that I liked or by themselves were something that I considered good for me. But mixed together in, in its complete product, it was a finished product that was good. In God will take the things in your life, the brokenness, the pain, the hurt, the circumstances. He uses all of it. And when he is done with you, it's going to be good. God wants you to know through the Apostle Paul in verse 29 that those whom he foreknew, that's you, he predestined. He knew ahead of time. You that he knew, that he called. He has a destiny for you. Not only are you identified with him, but there's a destiny for you. And he predestined. What did he predestine? What did he plan ahead of time? Well, there's two things in this verse, and two of these things when we were looking at 1 Corinthians is highlighted in this verse. The one thing he predestined was that you would be like Jesus, like you would be transformed, conformed. See, you are no longer who you used to be before God called you. He predestined and destined you to be like him. That's why... We have to always be reminded because of this world that we're living in that consistently, daily actually, tries to draw you away from the reality of who you are as a Christian and tries to shake your confidence of your future hope. Attacking our faith is what Sin in this world, in the demonic, unseen realm does. They try or it tries to shake your confidence of the true reality of what is revealed in God's word. The demonic realm seeks to blind the unbelievers and double-mind the Christians. But... God wants you to know that your destiny is not to be like the world and people who are against God's standards. His goal for you is to be like Jesus. He says, so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God, our God, wants 
you to know that you have a real, authentic relationship with the creator of the universe. In one day, you are going to be in fellowship with him. As the scripture says, you will no longer have to have a faith that's unseen, but you will see him face to face. Remember we talked about at the beginning when you're in college and it's a long four years. For some of you, you get it done early, two and a half, three years. But without that goal, without that hope, no matter what it is in life that we're doing, we all know as human beings that when you have hope, when you have a goal, it encourages you, it allows you, it keeps you going. When you're on a sports team, the coach always gives the team a goal. No matter what it is in life, when you have hope, it keeps you going every day. That's just how we're designed. So it is not by accident that the scripture consistently reminds you and I to hang in there. This life is short. Whether the Lord returns or your time is up, hang in there because it goes quickly. Those of you that are just having little children, you blink your eye and they walking. Those of you that are young adults, you were just in your mama's house. Maybe some of y'all are still in your mama's house. But you were just in your mama's house yesterday. Time literally flies. And the Bible is encouraging you and me to have perspective. Don't get so caught up in this world that you waste your time on things that have no eternal value. But realize your eternal and future hope that one day you will be with the Lord and his goal for you is to prepare for that. To be like his son, to keep developing yourself, to be like Jesus so that you're preparing for one day when you will be with him. More we're going to learn about that truth. He says, verse 30, in those he predestined, who he gave a destiny, it's personal. Just like we said the last few weeks. He called you. Despite knowing how messed up you were and how you will mess up, <laughs> After he called you, he still called you. No matter what you're doing or how much you messed up, God knows. God knows you. Somebody say, God knows you. He knows you. Matter of fact, he knew you. <laughs> he knew what you was going to be and what you was going to do. In those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, guess what? He justified you. Now, you theologians in here know what that is. Some preachers describe it as just as if I never sinned. It's a legal term that the Bible used to help you and I understand that we're not guilty. You are justified. 
That's what the world needs to understand about Christianity. Yeah, Christians are still messed up, but the difference is we are justified. See, you sin if they sin and they have not committed their life to Christ or accepted his forgiveness, they are still guilty. We still have sin, but we are not guilty. Because like we talked about in that courtroom analogy that some of us know experientially, that when you are guilty, what the court wants you to do is to kind of identify and acknowledge that you're guilty. Then once you acknowledge in the courtroom that you're guilty, what happens is when they give you a lawyer to speak on your behalf, they give you a justification not based on the fact that you didn't do wrong, but in the court of law, they say, okay, now that you've admitted that you're guilty, we're going to give you a deferred judgment. That means that the penalty that you would have gotten, we're going to defer that, and we're going to kind of let you out on probation. Now, once you're justified, the goal, though, is rehabilitation. Now that we have let you out, you admit you're guilty, now you can't keep doing the same things. So justification, you're, you're not guilty from God's standpoint, but then there's also sanctification. So those who God called, he justified them. And then long term, those whom he justified, they're going to be with him in glory, in heaven. See, Paul is speaking here as God speaks. He speaks as if it's already done. Because when God says you're going to be in heaven, you already there. See, God speaks to us Christians in the future tense, even though we're in the present tense, because when he says this, it's done. And the awesome thing about it that he taught the Corinthians, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 9, that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of Christ Jesus. See, let's, let's, let's look at verses 7 through 9. These are some core verses for today. So you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus, waiting for Jesus to come, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. Who's going to sustain you? Who is it depend upon? Number, verse 9, God is faithful. Now, living my life as a Christian for almost 50 years, this is difficult to wrap my brain around. Because anytime I fall short of God's standards, it seems instinctive quite often for me to wonder if I really am a child of God that's worthy of heaven. Even Paul said in Romans chapter 7, oh, wretched man that I am. The reality is the closer we are to God, the more we realize just how messed up we are. That is the 
challenge that we live with when God's spirit is in us and we are convicted. But that conviction, yeah, that reminds us that we're not where we need to be and it gives us a desire for heaven. But those thoughts that come in your mind to condemn you, Romans chapter 8, 1, God wants you to know that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Because you are not guilty, you are justified even though you have sinned. We know that, but it is good for us to be reminded and encouraged that God knows you. My brothers and my sisters, you first train the mind in order for the body to follow. I heard a karate teacher say that once. <laughs> but the Bible also says that. For us, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the first thing God wants to do is for you to get your mind transformed, to get your mind right. That's also something Paul taught. That for us to think right is primarily the first thing that needs to happen after you receive God's spirit. is to change your way of thinking so that you can understand the reality of your new existence and identity. And so that you can continue to understand how you should live your life as a Christian here on earth. And, again, have that hope about your destiny. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says it this way. Paul, in the second book of Corinthians, taught the Corinthians that, what we need to do is take every thought that is against the knowledge of God and lock it up. Any thought that comes to your mind, you need to lock it up and take it captive and bring it under the authority of the truth of Jesus Christ and God's word. The primary way that the fallen angels fight us is through our thought life is to get you to think improperly. What we need to do is train ourselves here to the truth, not brainwash, but reality of the truth. And in order to do that, you can't do that without studying God's word. God has not designed it where God's word just kind of automatically gets in your thoughts. His encouragement to you and I through the gift that he's given in his word is to spend time exercising spiritually. How do you do that? That is through the studying and meditation and memorizing of God's word so that you, you change the way you think. So that it becomes habitual, a habit. When you get something in your brain, we know this through other things in life that's not God's word. If you get something in your brain and you, and you get it in your brain over and over again, before you know it, you think that way naturally. In sports, we call that muscle memory. It's your brain's a muscle. You memorize the wrong things. You memorize it, and now it becomes natural actions. 
Therefore, those actions in the way you think makes you identify that way. You think that's who I am. But when you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, the Bible says if you are not acting in line with God's spirit that's in you, that's not who you are. What has happened is you got the wrong way of thinking. You're not thinking the right way. You're royalty. You're a child of the king, and you are not acting in line with who you really are. You got to get your thoughts right. Who needs to get their thoughts right here this morning? Who needs to say, Lord, I'm sorry? Oh, well, you don't have to. You don't have to repeat that. <laughs> See, the way it goes, if I, say, if I say say it, then you say it. <laughs> that was good, though. That was cool. That was good. That was, that was a moment. That was, that was pretty cool. I feel like we kind of, you know, hip-hopping back and forth. Okay. So, somebody here, it's probably all of us, because we all at a certain place, we need to grow. We need to make a commitment just like we do in our physical life, whether that's exercise to get your physical health right. Physical reality is a picture of spiritual realities. We are spiritual beings and physical beings, both. God teaches us spiritual lessons through physical realities. That's how you can grasp what God is trying to tell you spiritually through a physical reality. If you need to exercise physically to be healthy, you need to exercise spiritually to be healthy. And what God has revealed to us, the way that you do that first is through his word. It's through your thought life. It's through your thoughts. You get your thought right, thought life right. And then what happens is the spirit of God that's in you, he kind of does the rest. The spirit works with the word to develop you. And that's where you get the God super with your natural. The ability for you to do what God wants you to do won't be done unless you use the gifts that God has given you. The scriptures make it clear all in other passages that the weapons that we use of our warfare are not natural stuff. You just can't say, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try my best. When it comes to living for Christ, your sin nature is too strong. The draw is too strong. There's too much around you that's pulling against it for you to just say, I'm going to do better. It won't work. God knows it won't work. He knows you. So you have to bring every opinion that's not with God, about, in line with God's word. You need to learn and train yourself when you have those thoughts that come in your mind to lock it up and then train yourself to think God's thoughts. Now, I'm saying this, I'm telling you this, and I realize that you can hear it, you can take in the words I'm saying, but unless you practice it, you won't really experience how it works. See, all practical Knowledge becomes wisdom when you practice it, and it becomes your experience. A coach or a teacher or even an adult can tell you something, but until you experience it, until you try it, then you won't understand how it works. 
There's no substitute for experience. So, in order to learn how to take thoughts captive, you got to practice it. Just don't talk out loud to yourself. Somebody will think you're crazy. But if you have to, you do it. The power of positive thinking is real. However, you need the right thinking. God's thinking. Get God's word in your mind. A negative thought comes to you. Take it away. Say no. And then think God's thought. Thinks the right way. Somebody's telling you to do, do bad stuff in school, college, wherever, adults, telling you to do something you know is wrong. You know it's wrong. Your conscience is telling you it's wrong. It's right there in your brain. It's working. Your conscience is saying no, especially if you got the spirit. But even if you're just a human being, you have a conscience. But when you get the spirit, you have a super conscience. So somebody's telling you something is wrong. You know it's wrong. So now it's up to you if you will accept that thought and act on it or you will reject that thought, lock it up, and do what you know is right. Take every thought that's against God captive. You got to practice it every day. And then when you practice it every day, it becomes natural. It will be something you just do. And the spirit will kick in to help you. Now let's look at some hope, some more hope. Let's get some good thoughts in our brain about our future destiny. Paul remind the Corinthians in us when he pointed out in 1 Corinthians verses 2 that he's talking to all who come up, call upon the name of the Lord. He reminds them in 1 Corinthians 1, 7 and 8 of the reality and truth of our ultimate destiny to provide us hope in a broken world as broken people. He says that we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus. And if you have the spirit of God and you're a Christian and you live in this world, just like the Corinthians who were waiting back then, those of us who are Christians who have read other parts of the Bible, we know that the Bible says that Jesus came for the first time to die for our sins. He's going to come the second time to transform the whole world. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But when he actually comes the second time before the new heaven and new earth, depending upon your belief system, your theology about end times, some say that second time is when we're raptured out of here. And then the world is going to go crazy and it's going to be a one world order and the world will function without Jesus and then there's going to be this new regime or this, the devil incarnate himself will come down as the ultimate politician and unify the world. But they will all be anti-Christ. But according to many who believe we will be raptured, we won't experience that. Some believe Christians will experience that. But when you read a verse like this, seems like Paul is saying we're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we don't have to experience some sort of suffering. 
So it's not clear here whether Paul is talking about the rapture or at the very end. But minimally, there's a hope here in this verse, verse 7, that is not the same experience as we're experiencing presently in this earth. So, heaven, the future. Let's look at a few things about that and prayerfully, hopefully, get some encouragement. First thing I want to say before we look at this passage in Revelation is that God's plan and desire, his ultimate plan, when we look at what's, what's the big picture, what's the point about Christianity and the whole Bible, what's the whole theme of the Bible, all 66 books, Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, one theme can be is that God's plan is to restore his relationship with mankind a relationship that has been broken as evidence of sin in a broken world and how messed up we are and that we can't fix it. The Bible reveals God's plan to eventually make that right, to restore his relationship with mankind, you and me, and ultimately restore a broken world, the earth and the people in the earth. The book of Revelation is the culmination or the big vision of that. Revelations verse 20, verses 1 through 4. John, the Apostle John, who wrote Revelation, and he's speaking of a vision that God has given him. He said, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth the one we're living in right now, had passed away, and the sea was no more. I don't know what we're going to do about water in heaven, but maybe, I don't know, because I can swim now, and it took a lot for me when I was young to learn to swim, so it would be nice if in heaven there was some sort of water. But, you know, the scriptures reveal, however that's going to work, there is no more sea in the new heaven and new earth, which is interesting. Then he says, I saw... The holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, here we go. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Anybody ready for that? And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, when you meditate on that, and I encourage you to meditate on it, it just, for me, it just kind of hits me that when you, and I've said this the last couple weeks, when you look at the present world and our existence and the fact that we long for this, it's like everything that the Bible is saying, when you really meditate on it, makes sense. Who doesn't desire this, but yet as human beings, we can't attain it? And yet, 
the Bible makes it clear from the Bible standpoint, we can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to be good enough to stand before a holy God with our sin. So he does it for us. I mean, as these other ministers in the next couple of weeks is going to preach, they're going to reveal that, or maybe, you know, it might be a couple of passages I'm going to get to too, is that the world thinks we're crazy as Christians. They think we're the fools. But the Bible says that they're the fools. <laughs> they say they're scientific, that we're illogical, that we have blind faith. But I've been a skeptic all my life. I'm still a skeptic. I, for sure, when God called me, just like the Apostle Paul, who was a skeptic, didn't believe in Christianity, I'm a skeptic, and I don't just take things what people say or anything says just because somebody says it. God knows I'm the type of person I need evidence. Anybody, if you have a true authentic heart and you truly are seeking God, when you study the Bible and you research the Bible, you are going to come to the conclusion this is the only thing that makes sense re regarding the answers for this broken world. If, you're, if they're truly honest with themselves. Now, as the scripture says that the, de the demonic realm blinds them. Now, if they're blind because the Bible says there's a spiritual world that fights their thoughts, then okay, that makes sense. They're blind. And the Bible says we were all blind. But when God opens your mind and your heart and you're sincere, and whoever you are, if you are sincere in seeking truth, God will reveal it to you, and it's going to make sense. Sometimes we don't understand, but God most definitely reveals truth to us in a way that makes sense when we need it. God's plan is to restore his relationship with mankind. God does not desire to condemn people. That's not what Christianity is about and what we're often accused of. John 3, 16, 17, we all know these verses. But they're awesome verses for anybody who don't know the Lord. We're not here to beat people over the head with the Bible or to, you know, down them or to argue with him. I don't argue with anybody about Christianity. It's, I'm just here presenting this, and I pray that the Lord opens your heart like it's their choice. It says God loved the world, so loved him that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. The opposite of eternal life and perish is not eternal life. <laughs> so th there's good news, but the good news is good news because the bad news is really bad. Verse 17, very, very important. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Whoever you are here this morning, when you're hearing about Christianity, y'all, the way y'all say it nowadays, young people, I think y'all say, don't judge me. Can't nobody judge me. Well, God can judge, but God didn't send his son. He's not trying to condemn you or put you down. He's telling you this so that you can be saved. 
through him. Um, how many of y'all old school, I'm talking to old school for a minute here, we almost done. How many of y'all used to get those whoopings? I don't know if there's spankings anymore. I don't know if that even exists. Maybe there's still some old schoolers. You got some, okay, some young people still get them. That's what's up. Shout out to, shout out to mom. Because kids, adults, whether we believe it or not, unless there's abuse, you know we can't take it too far. But, man, whoopings is a good thing. Because no matter who you are, we all have a nature that when you see something that's right, you want to do wrong. I mean, that's just how Paul said our nature is. As soon as the right thing is presented to us, something in us says, I'm going to do opposite of that. And you have to discipline yourself to do right. Whoopings help that. You may not like it. You may not like it. It may not feel good. But it's because of love. See, when you whooping your child, you ain't trying to condemn them. When you used to get those whoopings, if you had good parents, they used to say, you know what, I'm doing this because I love you. And you like, yeah, right. <laughs> you a kid, you thinking that's just a lie, mom or dad. But then you become a parent. And you're like, dang, they were right. If you are a loving parent, this the last thing you want to do is even punish your child. You want them to have everything life has to offer. You don't want them to be on punishment. You don't want them to be in their room. You want them to have everything. Last thing you want is for them to have any discipline, but it's all out of love. Jesus is not trying to condemn anybody. God is not trying to condemn anybody. He loves them. The message of the good news of Christ so that you can be saved, so that you can turn your life to him is a message of love. 2 Peter 3.9 highlights this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. People keep saying God is going to return, Jesus is going to return, it ain't never happened. The Bible says don't get it twisted. God ain't slow because he's slow. But he's patient towards you, not wishing that anybody should perish, but that all come to repentance. You want to know why? When people ask, why is there evil in the world? Why God keep allowing this? Why don't he just do something? Because he wants time for everybody to have an opportunity to know him. He could just do another Noah thing, as the scripture says, and flood the whole world. But this second time around, he's going to be patient. Last couple things, and I promise I'll get you out of here. But I might say that like two more times, but I'm going to try. Just a reminder that we all suffer. You all need to understand when you leave here and after the message is done and you go through the week, suffering is going to happen for many of us. Although Paul was a strong Christian, he related to suffering. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9, if you never read this situation with Paul, Paul says, he wanted his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, for um, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. He says that he was so utterly burdened beyond his, our strength 
that they wanted to kill, that they wanted to die. Even one of the strongest Christians that ever lived that wrote almost all of the New Testament suffered. Jesus suffered. The disciples denied him. They ran. When the, tough, when the going got tough, they jetted. Jesus suffered emotionally. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept. He suffered physically, as you all know, on the cross for you and me. There's a spiritual suffering that you and I can never comprehend because the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that sin was put on him, the weight of the sin of the world. He became sin for us. He looked up to his father and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When God had to turn away from his eternal son for you and me. He was forsaken. He was separated. Something that we read, but we can't comprehend, but it happened. Why is God doing this for a broken people? What is going on? Difficult to comprehend, but he did it. I'm going to do a Kyle move and quote a rapper. I'm going to quote DMX. DMX once said, all I know is pain, all I feel is rain. I can relate to that. That was my life before Christ for sure, and that's still my life. But this hope that God gives me through meditation on him keeps me going. And that's what he wants for all of us. Jesus is sensitive to our suffering in closing John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... I wouldn't have told you this. I would have not have told you. I'm not going to tell you something that's not true. I'm not just using words here. There's a place prepared for you in the future, he's telling them. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. God knows you. He's going to prepare a place for you and me. And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, verse 3, I will come again. And take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. In Jesus' name, amen.